Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for August 18th, 2021. Just a reminder, everybody, that we covered all the DC stuff yesterday. A little bit of a lighter week for DC, um, but spoiler-filled, uh, as opposed to this new Comic Book Day episode, which will be spoiler-free. Uh, but uh, like I said, a little bit of a smaller week um, on DC, but... We did cover them, Rocky from Comic Boom and myself on yesterday's episode, so hope you all enjoyed those. It, uh, there were a few highlights, probably Nightwing, um, the Superman Red and Blue was really good. So, yeah, there was some there was some good stuff that, that came out yesterday, um, for sure. Um, this, however, is not going to be a, a short one uh, because there are tons of other great books that came out uh, this week. A lot of good Marvel stuff, especially in the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe, which is kind of interesting considering uh, the announcement just came out that Jonathan Hickman will indeed be leaving the uh, X-Men corner of the the Marvel Universe. So um, let's go ahead and dive in. Actually, real quick before I do that, I just thought of one other DC book that was a real highlight this week, Uh, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, number three. probably my DC book of the week. So if you're not reading that from Tom King with incredible Bilquis Evely art, highly encourage you to check it out. So that being said, let me dive in because we're going to talk about a ton of books this week. Um, We're going to start off with Spider-Woman. It's up to issue 14. It's written by Carla Pacheco. The art is by Pierre Perez or Pere, I think is how you pronounce it. (laughs) Sorry for that. Uh, Perez, Frank Terramata on colors, Travis Lanham on letters um, it's interesting, right? With issue 11, Jessica's back in her classic costume, which I really appreciate because I think that she has one of the greatest costumes ever. Like, I just love the Black Widow costume with the red, the black, and the yellow. I think it's a perfect, perfectly designed costume. But Carla Pacheco and the creative team really did try to sort of lighten things up and bring Jessica a little bit back to more of a sort of happy go lucky uh, even if she is a bit of a mess at, at times you know just the mess is the joke um but that being said it's not like they've forgotten the other supporting cast members that we've seen uh, like her brother michael we saw at the end of last issue that he was responsible for uh, or she assumed he was responsible or it appeared that he was responsible for the people that broke into Jessica's apartment well, her son was there looking for the data that the high evolutionary had given to, uh, to Jessica. So we find out all about that, how he's involved. And it, it, it's an interesting take. It's hard for me to talk about this without giving uh, away spoilers because this is a huge, huge issue. Um, and I, I guess I'll just put it this way. That supporting cast, I, I talked early on when I talked about the Spider-Woman series about Carla Pacheco expanding Spider-Woman supporting cast, and I really appreciated that. I was sort of worried that they would be forgotten about when the book sort of took a little bit of a change of direction with issue 11. That's not the case at all, but they're not necessarily being used in a way that I thought they would be. But that's okay, because it is a compelling story. And I continue to really enjoy the voice 
that Carla Pacheco gives to Jessica Drew. She's, you know, she's less put together than the, the kind of the older sort of seasoned veteran private eye sort of Jessica Drew that, that you know, we had in the past. She comes across as a bit younger and um, almost a bit neurotic at times. Um, but I think that works for the character very, very well. So, uh, and the art by Pere Perez, top notch as always, great color work by uh, Frank Diramata. So uh, yeah, Spider-Woman continues to be a, a book that I, I really, really enjoy. And I, again, it, it's one of those that maybe not enough people are talking about. I feel like I see that about a lot of different Marvel books, but it's definitely the case here um, because everybody should be, should be reading this book. It really is that good. So, uh, all right, well, let me move on to the next book I'm going to talk about. And it's, uh, it's another Marvel one. It's another spider title, uh, but this time it's Sinister War Part 3. It's written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson. Mark Bagley, Carlos Gomez, and Z. Carlos are the pencilers. Andrew Hennessy, Andy Owens, John Dill, Carlos Goman, Gomez, and Z. Carlos are listed as inkers. We've got Brian Raber with Andrew Crosley as the color artists and Joe Caramagna on letters. And I guess the reason the creative teams are so big is because they're trying to bang these out really fast. So the art, at times it looks very Bagley-esque, and at times it doesn't. Um, and obviously the reasons for that are pretty clear um, because Bagley doesn't do all the art, uh, but it is a very fast paced read. Um, and I, I have mixed feelings about the whole idea of the sinister war. Um, you know, I've talked at length about my feelings on Nick Spencer leaving Spider-Man. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it has to do with his role at Substack. Maybe people just felt it was time to go, but you know, one of the things about Nick Spencer is he, he seems to have a hard time finishing stories, <laughs> you know, I don't, God knows if morning glories will ever be finished. Um, but this feels rushed, you know, trying to finish off all of Nick Spencer's Spider-Man storylines and, you know, throwing a bunch of artists at this. Uh, yeah, it feels rushed. So, you know, there's a bunch of different versions, you know, talking about the sinister war, you've got the sinister six, You've got the Sinister Syndicate. You've got the Wild Pack. You have the Savage Six. You six. You have Boomerang and the Superior Foes of Spider-Man, and they're all they're all being brought together by by Kindred, right, to fight Spider-Man. So we saw last issue, Spider-Man's in this graveyard, and you know he's surrounded by all these different villains. Problem is, in this issue, there are so many villains, nobody really gets any sort of spotlight. And you're left just wondering, okay, what's the point of this other than to make these artists draw these crazy battle scenes with a bunch of characters? And is the Kindred storyline really still going on? My God, can that thing end? Well, we know Spencer's leaving, so it finally will. I just don't know that this is going to hold up. Like this whole this whole era of Spider-Man, uh, the, the Spencer cleanup era, I'll call it, it, it's, it just feels sloppy and slapdash and thrown together. And I don't think it's going to hold up over time uh, of being a very, a very fondly remembered time in the spider books. Um, and that's really all I can say about it because there's not much that happens other than Spider-Man 
fights just about every one of his villains you can think of, you know, from Tarantula to Speed Demon to Craven, uh, Shocker. I mean, everybody's there. Everybody's there. So it does make for a pretty quick read. And I guess we will get the ending to, you know, one more of the threads of the the Spencer Spider-Man storyline. At this point, God, just let it be over. So, yeah, an okay issue. I was honestly hoping for more with with Sinister War, hoping it would be a little just better quality, I guess, because it, it really hasn't been very high quality at all. Anyway, next book is my first image title. It's called Second Chances. It's from a writer I haven't heard of named Ricky Mamone. The art is by Max Bertolini. Letters are by D. Hopkins. It's a black and white comic, which is interesting. And it has a flashback in the middle that is supposed to add context, I guess, but it's not clear yet. This is a first issue that, while I won't say it raises more questions than answers, there's still a lot more that we need to learn. Um, so basically, I guess the premise is there's this uh, detective, for lack of a better term, um, who basically, you know, kind of does what like Arnold Schwarzenegger did in um, what's the name of that movie? Eraser, right? Where people come to him and they they've done something horrible in their, their lives and they need an escape. They need a second chance. And, and that's what he does. And that's where the name of the, the book comes from. Um, he basically helps them fake their death and then sets them up somewhere else, um, you know, with a new identity. But again, uh, things are not all that they appear based on that flashback. He goes out to help somebody that he had given a second chance to in the past and things kind of go sideways from there. So it's a lot of, a lot of questions. Like I said, a lot of questions, but it definitely has that pulp noirish feel of, you know, an old 1930s or 1940s, uh, you know, detective and the black and white art helps to, to fit that kind of tone as well. You know, like you expect him to, to have an office with, uh, you know, a wooden door with a, you know, a frosted glass window with his name on it. Um, and, a you know, maybe a secretary with, uh, pearls on or something, you know, typing out, out in the office. So uh, it, it captures that feel very, very well. Um, but there's still a lot of, a lot of questions to be answered. So good start. I hadn't heard of this. Uh, I just sort of picked it up on a whim. Um, Cause it was a number one and the cover looked cool. Um, but the art from Bertolini is, is fantastic. Um, like I said, black and white. So you get really get a chance to see the line art and uh, yeah, it's the art is, is fantastic and it's fast paced. You get a big chunk of story. It is bigger than a usual issue. It's 30 pages, I believe. So yeah, it was a good start. I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it. Uh, all right. Let's see. Up next, we're going to talk about Radiant Black number seven. This is from writer Kyle Higgins. Art is by the regular series artist Marcelo Costa. We have colors by Natalia Marquez, letters by Becca Carey. 
edited and designed by Michael Basudel. We saw at the end of last issue, well, issue six, uh, Marshall was fighting against Radiant Red when some other Radiants showed up and kind of interrupted their fight. And that's where this issue sort of picks up. So we get a chance to see what a lot of the other Radiants can do in terms of their powers. Um, and we see that they're all sort of fighting a, a common enemy, but we don't know who that enemy is or, or anything about him yet. So this issue felt a lot like, a, and again, I haven't read a lot of Power Rangers comics or, or any that I can remember, but to me, that's what this kind of felt like, you know, it's kind of that sort of team story, what I imagine that, that would be with, you know, a team with all of them having different powers and different colors, and they're sort of coming together and trying to figure out how they relate to each other, how they can work as a team. And, you know, can they trust each other, especially when they're all thrown in this crazy situation? So, um, yeah, Radiant, Radiant Black has been a really interesting, really interesting series. Um, you know, people talk about Tom King wanting to experiment with different story styles. I feel like Kyle Higgins is definitely doing that here with, with Radiant Black. I mean, some issues we're just focusing on one particular character, like the, the Nathan writing issue and the, you know, where he's talking about his creative struggles. And then this one, which is very much an ensemble issue. So, you know, in that, in terms of the ideas of the story, it's been refreshing and interesting and they've been playing with the things and uh, you know, as Kyle uh, puts it, taking big swings and they're doing the same sort of thing in in the pacing and in the reveals and in, in the way the story is, is structured. So it still, it still feels like a radiant black book. You know, there's still some, you know, funny moments, there's character moments. There's a lot of action, there's really cool art and getting to see all these different radiants and what their uh, unique powers are is pretty cool as well. So continue to love radiant black, continue to sing its praises continue to think that everybody should be reading radiant black. Uh, next book is also a creator-owned title from Image. It's Noctera number six from writer Scott Snyder. We have art by Tony S. Daniel, colors by Tameo More, letters by Anne World Design. And we saw last issue how Val and M had reached safety, supposedly, right? Um, they got to the, the place they were trying to get to, the sanctuary, and they they met up with Gus's uh, brother and they thought that, okay, you know, now we're here, now we're safe and, you know, everything's going to be okay. We saw Emery get, get, uh, get healed, which we didn't necessarily think was possible. Um, and now just when you thought everything was safe, we saw last issue that Gus's brother is actually a bad guy. I, I guess that's the easiest way to say it, right? Like he wasn't necessarily asking Augustus and Bailey there for, for reasons of them being safe. Instead, he wanted 
something that his brother had, you know, the book on uh, of notes and, and things and whatever his brother was talking about with the ability to, you know, put the world back to normal as it were, bring the light back or whatever. Um, Tiberius was, was talking to somebody else and, and it's clear that he didn't have the, the best intentions for Val and Emery and Bailey. Um, and so that's where this issue picks up and a lot, there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of moments of talking. There's a lot of tension. Um, and then halfway through the issue, all hell breaks loose basically. Um, and Scott, Scott said, Scott Snyder said on Twitter that, you know, this is the one that changes everything. And I can sort of see why he says that. Uh, Cause you know, it's such a, it's such a sort of comic booky trope, but you know, we thought that the whole point of the book was for Val to get her brother M to a sanctuary and get him healed. And that's happened actually in the first six issues, first five issues, really. So now what? Well, you know, the story based on what's happening here, what we learned about Tiberius, Gus's brother, whoever he might work with, Blacktop Bill, obviously still a threat and a menace. But then there's something that happens at the end of this issue, which kind of flips everything on its head as well. So, it, yeah, when Scott says it changes everything, he's, he's 100% correct. Um, so I continue to love this book. I think it's one of the best things Scott Snyder's done in years. Uh, the artwork from Tony S. Daniel, probably the best artwork Tony's ever done. It's, it's absolutely fantastic from the design to the storytelling to the emotion in the faces. It's just gorgeous, just, just top-notch art. Um, and then, of course, Tameo More on colors, um, which is a little bit of a unique palette on this one. Uh, you know, previously, a lot of the, the book was either jarringly bright when you saw people weaponizing light or, or sort of dark in shadow. This one, this issue that feels like there's a lot of red. Um, so interesting choices, but, but, and I'm not saying the color is bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's fantastic also. So again, just another really high quality book, another, yeah, I mean, Noctera, man, it has been so good. It continually impresses me. Um, it almost feels like each issue gets better than the last, which is, you know, sign of a truly, truly great story. So, uh, all right. Up next, second issue of Moon Knight from writer Jed McKay. We have art by Alessandro Capuccio. Colors are by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by Corey Petit. Uh, I didn't like the first issue of this that much. I thought it was okay. Not great. I think the second issue improves on it. Once again, you know, kind of lending credence to my saying where you, you know, you always got to give a book at least two issues because first issues are so hard to do. I really do feel like Jed McKay is taking a lot of inspiration from the, uh, the Warren Ellis, the worst, the recent Warren Ellis um, Moon Knight book that Greg Smallwood did uh, a lot of the art for. Um, I will say, because it has that, that feel of, of, you know, Mark Spector wearing the white suit rather than like, uh, you know, three piece suit, white shirt, white tie, um, you know, jacket and pants, as opposed to wearing like his Moon Knight costume and how he's saying he needs, he needs to help the midnight people, the people that are out at night, you know, they're under his protection and that sort of thing. So all of that, you know, him running kind of a detective type agency as well. All that feels very much like what Ellis was doing. Um, but 
and I'm not saying the Capuccio art is bad, but the style that Greg Smallwood used was so minimal in terms of just economy of, of his line work. And Capuccio is a completely different style. And so the, the story doesn't quite get to that sort of timeless feel that the Ellis uh, Moon Knight story did. Um, not to say it's bad, because again, I, I think there are interesting ideas you're playing with. And it feels like a lot of one and done stories, actually, with some threads of, of bigger plots running through. So I'm sure we're going to be, you know, learning more about some of the characters that we were introduced to in, in the first issue and some of those events. Um, but in the meantime, you know, each week or each month, rather each issue, I sort of feel like McKay's going to take us on a wild ride, you know, going up against the villain of the, of the month, so to speak, villain of the issue. So no, I don't like this as much as the, as the Warren Ellis one, but it, it's close. It's growing on me. And I, I definitely like the second issue more than the first. Um, and the art is good. And it is, you know, uh, sufficiently creepy and supernatural at times. Um, but it's just a, a different art style that I think if they're, if Jed McKay is trying to capture that same feel that Ellis had, he, he needs an, an artist who works in a different style. Because um, this isn't bad. It just it's not that sim more simple style where you know less is more that we saw in uh in the Ellis run. So but all in all, a pretty solid issue. Uh up next we have Miles Morales in uh annual number one, ties into the infinite destiny storyline. This is another one that was kind of didn't quite see how it tied in because uh Amulet is the guest star here or the one that's uh, miles teams up with and they, they go up against some villains from, from his past and we learn his origin amulets origin and you know what his purpose is. Um, but there's actually no mention of any infinity stone or infinity gem in the main story at all. Obviously in the backup, you know, we have fury and, and Nighthawk as, as, you know, as we suspected doing their thing in the uh, Jed McKay and Juan Ferreira uh, backup of which there's only one more. And, and that's a really good story. And one for continues to create incredible art. Um, but for the main story, I, I don't know. I just don't see how it ties in. So uh, that being said, you know, Saladin Ahmed is the writer and he's the writer for the regular series. So this certainly feels very much like a Spider-Man book and an amulet. It has quite a bit in, in common with, uh, with miles, you know, he, he's a little older, but they're both, you know, from, from immigrant families, from minorities, they're both young. They're both, um, you know, excited and, and have good, they're excited about being superheroes and having powers and, and, um, and they had the best of intentions. So uh, I think it comes across as very authentic and it was a fun story to read um, with, with uh, miles teaming up with amulet to, to help him with some of his baggage, you know, some of, some of the things that he, the reasons he exists, you know, what, what he needs to do to sort of help his family and, and honor the, the legacy uh, of, of power and whatnot uh, that his family has passed down. Uh, the art's solid. It's by Luca Maresca. Um, not familiar with our artist, but uh, I thought the line work was, was fine. Line weights are maybe a little heavy, 
but overall I thought it was great. Um, colors are by Fernando Sifuentes of Photo Bunker. Uh, again, pr pretty primary palette, maybe le leaning a little more into the pastel color, but uh, again, not, it's not spectacular, but it, it does the job. It's pretty solid. And letters in this issue are by Corey Petit. So uh, I may just have to sit down and, and read all these um, Infinite Destiny annuals together in one sitting after they all come out um, and see if, if there's a consistency of tone there, because some of them seem like they're a little, I almost want to say out of place. Because again, there's not even an Infinity Stone or an Infinity Gem mentioned in this issue. So at least not in the main story. Uh, but yeah, overall, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, up next is Lazarus written, uh, Risen, uh, number six. And so uh, Lazarus is a, a story, a series from Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. And um, it originally was just called Lazarus, came out monthly. And then a couple of years ago, Rucka and Lark decided to that they were going to release it quarterly and give you more, right? Like more pages. If you're, they release it quarterly, it would be like, what? Uh, three comics is 60 pages, 20 pages of story each. Um, but each of these Laz Lazarus Risens is 68. So you get X eight extra pages, but it doesn't, and it doesn't cost, you know, three times as much. Like if, if you're putting out a monthly book and it's three or four bucks. So if it's three bucks, that's $9. If it's four bucks, that's $12, right. That you're spending in a quarter. Uh, but this is $7.99. So it's also cheaper. So you're getting the equivalent of three comics. But they just release them all at once. Plus all the extra back matter they put in for role-playing game or prose or, or whatever. And, and Rucka usually has some sort of article uh, or essay in the back as well. So unfortunately with COVID going on last year, uh, I guess they decided to take a little break. So this is actually the first issue of uh, Lazarus in like 10 months. So it was a little hard to remember what the heck's been going on, but that's the great thing about Rucka and the, the great thing about the Lazarus world that he's created where families basically have taken over the world. Like they're, they're basically corporations, you know, you say family, but they're basically these big businesses, like as if Apple was run all by the same family and Disney was run all by the same family and Starbucks was run all by the same family. So the world's been divided up. Um, and it's very much kind of a dystopian type uh, future, but there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. It's a very political book, but it's action oriented when it needs to be. Um, and so with us getting such a huge amount of story, um, you also feel like, yeah, it might, maybe it's been 10 months, but, uh, but this is fantastic. So we get 48 pages or so of story in this issue, 46 pages of story. Plus the back matter and, uh, yeah, I think it all works really, really well. Um, the Michael Lark art is fantastic as always. I mean, I just love the world of, of Lazarus. And, and even though it's been so long, because it is so unique, I didn't even go back and read anything that I had read previously. I just dove into this one. And as a, you know, Ruck is so great that he drops little hints and little context clues so that if you haven't read it before, you can still understand what's going on. If you have read it, it sort of jogs your memory. So uh, again, it's just, it's so good. And the art's fantastic. 
very much, a, like I said, a political book, though, a book that makes you think. So if you're looking for, you know, popcorn, mindless comics, Lazarus Risen is not it, <laughs> not at all. But I do recommend it. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, all right. Up next, we have the first issue of a new Marvel series called Kang the Conqueror. It's written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. We have art by Carlos Magno. Colors are by Espin Grudigern. And letters are by Joe Caramagna. So I sort of feel like this has been a long time coming. This is basically going to be like a, a, Thanos, or a, Thanos, a Kang origin story, Kang the Conqueror. Um, and, and the first issue was fantastic, right? We meet Kang when he's a young boy. And it's time travel, so things immediately go sideways in that way. Uh, but it's this is definitely the most in-depth story um, I've ever read of Kang, like focusing on him and his feelings and where he came from. And other than talking about that, I can't really say much because anything I said would be a spoiler. What I can say is the comic is paced within an inch of its life. So much happens here. Uh, and the art by Carlos Magno is, is gorgeous, beautifully detailed, great backgrounds, great emotion, great choices of, of camera angle. Um, yeah, just fantastic. I've never been like the biggest Kang, uh, the Conqueror fan, but having read this, man, it, it, it sucked me right in right from the beginning. You know, I was probably two pages in. I was like, man, this is good. This is really, really good. And there's more. Uh, Kelly and Lansing, the writers, are bringing a lot more depth to Kang than maybe I ever realized was there. And like, tend to sort of almost shy away from Kang stories because they're so complicated with all the time travel and all the paradoxes. And he's been Ramatut and he's been Immortus and he's been Kang and he's been this and he's been that. And it's like impossible to keep straight. And he's never, and the other reason he's never interested in me is he's so powerful. It's almost like, you know, you ex deus machina built into a character, you know, if you want to tell a story and you can't figure out how to make something happen, just put Kang in the story because with Kang, anything can happen. And so again, I, I feel this is a long overdue, like give us a definitive Kang sort of origin story, why he is the way he is. And it definitely feels like that's what these guys are doing. So I was, I was very impressed. And like I said, the Carlos Magno art is absolutely fantastic. So definitely check it out. Uh, up next, we have Iron Man number 11 from writer Christopher Cantwell. The art is by Angel Unzueta. Colors by Frank D'Armada. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Uh, the art is fantastic. I didn't even realize that it wasn't um, the normal artist, Kafu, because uh, the style that Angel brings is, is pretty similar. Um, I also like sort of the, the narrative buildup that's been going on with Christopher Cantwell having taken Iron Man off the stage with the whole Korvac thing and how he brings him back on the stage. It feels very natural. And I've talked in the past about how it feels like uh, Christopher Cantwell is breaking Tony Stark down to build him back up. It's very much what this, what this feels like. And I think we're at, you were either at the turning point or the turning point's coming real soon. Like either this was the turning point for, for Tony to really start having faith in himself, or it, it possibly could be next issue. I have to wait and read the next one to find out. But um, Christopher Frank Cantwell clearly loves classic Iron Man, um, you know, kind of that same era that I 
grew up loving, you know, from about 170 to like 260 or so after the first Armor Wars ended. It's just classic stuff. It's Tony being true to himself, um, you know, much more so than being the snarky, jokey, Robert Downey Jr. sort of Iron Man character that that he's been for the past couple of years that I haven't really enjoyed that much. Um, but this feels like my Iron Man to me. So, uh, yeah, I thought this issue was fantastic. We get the resolution of, of Tony being separated from the rest of his crew that he recruited to take on Korvac, find out what's happening in that other planet kind of thing with where all the Ultimos are uh, being manufactured, like all that sort of stuff. Uh, all those plot lines get uh, resolved. And uh, the, and then this ends on a, a cliffhanger of a to- totally different sort that I'm, I'm really anxious to read the next issue. Really can't wait to, to see Tony go head to head with Korvac um, under the pencil of, uh, of Christopher Cantwell. Uh, all right. Up next is home number five. This is the final issue of the series. It's written by Julio Anta. The art is by Anna Wisnik. Colors by Brian Valenza. Letters by Hassan Otsman Elhow. I talked before many times, um, I think with issue three and then with issue four, and I'm going to say it again with issue five uh, about the scope of the series and how it continued to expand. And it went from being this sort of small slice of life type story that I expected to be to growing in scope to be this story about these, uh, these immigrants, um, these Latin characters who have superpowers and, and it's a much bigger story in a way than I, than I had thought. Uh, it's the end for now, but in the back of the book, Julio Anta talks about hopefully, uh, you know, obviously based on sales, he'll be able to bring it back because they have a lot more um, of this home story to tell the story in this particular issue. It does wrap up in a way that you can look at it as sort of a happy ending, you know? Um, but then there's a wrinkle thrown in right at the end where you go, okay, maybe not quite as happy as you thought, but still pretty solid. And can we just get the next arc already? So yeah, I thought, I thought this was really good. Um, again, something I picked up on a whim. I've talked about each individual uh, issue and they've all been great. And uh, the, you know, coming from a Hispanic family myself, their interactions and how much they care about each other and how much they put family first, all that stuff really rings true. Uh, this is the most action packed issue of, of all of them so far. Um, so yeah, it's, it is pretty damn good. And um, yeah, Juan gets to meet his cousins and there's a big fight with ice and yeah, it, it's just really good. And like I said, it, Somewhat of a happy ending. If, if he'd ended it two pages sooner, I would have said definitely happy ending. Um, but you sort of take it with a grain of salt. Um, but it is important to hear the message that's coming through in the story in terms of what, uh, what migrant families go through and, and what, what it means to be an immigrant uh, in this country. Um, definitely lessons that we need to, to take to heart about looking out for those who you know, aren't as fortunate as we are that those of us that get to live in this country were born here 
nobody gets to choose where they're born. So somebody wants to come here and make a better life. We should be uh, embracing that. And that's sort of the message, but it does, it, it comes across in the story um, very organically and it doesn't feel preachy. Um, and Julio says in that essay in the back that he, uh, he didn't, he's been, the book has been accused of being very political, but he doesn't see it that way. And he kind of explains why. So makes a lot of sense. Uh, anyway, next book I'm going to talk about is Gamma Flight, part three of five from writers Al Ewing and Crystal Frazier. Uh, Lan Medina is the artist. Antonio Fabella handles the colors. Joseph Bino on letters. This is definitely the turning point of the series. Um, it's been somewhat set up until now. Putting the players, Al Ewing and Crystal Frazier have have taken the time to put the players in place to tell the story they want to tell. Um, and with this particular issue, we uh, we get a good idea of, of who Dion is and what needs to happen next. So uh, again, I love that Marvel's putting out the series because this is going to wrap up some threads that got started in the Immortal Hulk book that Al Ewing's just not going to have time to finish. So, uh, you know, kudos to to the art team, kudos to Lan Medina for giving us incredibly detailed art, gorgeous colors in this one. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, of course it feels like immortal Hulk. These are immortal Hulk characters, you know, from, from that story that, uh, you know, the way Al Ewing has, you know, manipulated the different characters, uh, you know, Puck, Titania, Absorbing Man, Doc Sasquatch, you know, Leonard Sampson in Sasquatch's body, um, you know, he, he's put his, his own spin and tweak on each of these characters. And, uh, and the fact that we're getting to see them finish out their own story, I think is, is spectacular. So I'd be shocked if anybody who's reading the Mortal Hulk is not reading this and they, they really should be because this is, this is just an offshoot of uh, a Mortal Hulk and, uh, and it's fantastic. Actually, I think I've enjoyed the last couple issues of Gamma Flight even more than the last couple issues of Immortal Hulk. It's been that fun. Um, and the Land Medina artwork, like I said, sp spectacular, really, really good. Uh, all right. Up next is my book of the month or yeah, book of the week, I should say. It's Beyond the Breach, number two, Everything You've Done Wrong from writer Ed Brisson. Damien Cusiero is the artist. Patricio Del Peche is the colorist. And then we have Hassan Atzman Elhau handling the letters. I didn't know what to expect, right? Beyond the breach number one, there was this incursion where all these different sort of crazy looking aliens and monsters and whatnot invaded our reality. Did they, did they come from the future? Did they come from the past? Did they come from a, a different dimension, different universe, like parallel universe, mirror universe? Like, like we didn't have any idea. It was all set up. Uh, and then in this issue, we get a chance to sort of catch our breaths and see what the story is really all about. And it's much different than what you think. It's not just some crazy body horror um, survival story. You know, um, there's an, a character here that we get introduced to um, that is very interesting, I'll say. Uh, his name's Samuel, and there's a lot more to Samuel than, than it might first appear. And as the story plays out, he keeps having these little character moments. Um, and then at the end, there's this crazy cliffhanger where just when you thought you had a, an idea of who Samuel is, 
then that all gets thrown on its head as well. So based on the expectation, based on the, the pacing and just the craziness of the story, that's what is why I picked this as my book of the week. It was just fantastic. Like I read it, it brought a smile to my face. It's like, this is the most crazy out there thing I've ever read by Ed Brisson. And, you know, I, I often talk and compliment him on no matter what story he's telling, no matter how crazy it is, superpowers, whatever, there's always a groundedness to it. I almost feel like there isn't, at least there hasn't been yet. There hasn't been a groundedness to this. It, it's like the gloves are off and the only limit is Ed's imagination. And, and, and I love it. Like, this is just absolutely fun and one of those books like as soon as you finish reading it you know the, the way he set it up with the cliffhanger you're like oh I, I i need the next issue right now i need more of this story right now because i need I, I have questions you know i want to read more of this i want to keep immersing myself in this world and learning more about it so yeah absolutely fantastic fantastic aftershock title uh if you didn't pick up issue one, highly recommend you picking up issue one and two beyond the breach. Uh, so if you get to your comic shop today or later this week, definitely, uh, definitely grab that. Uh, all right. Next couple books are uh, in the X corner of the Marvel universe. First one is trial of Magneto. Number one from writer, Leah Williams, uh, Lucas Wernick does the art. Edgar Delgado handles the colors and Clayton Cowles, Handles the letters, Tom Muller on design. And just as everybody suspected, I mean, the, it's called Trial of Magneto, right? So we all sort of know Magneto's going on trial. All the X-Men think that he killed Scarlet Witch. He obviously is claiming that he didn't. And so how that all plays out in the hands of Leigh uh, Lay Williams, the writer, is what uh, the Trial of Magneto story is going to be, uh, be about. So um, a lot of action, a lot of great art, um, and just a lot of questions and, and mysteries and things to be solved. Like who did really kill her and why um, can this age of Krakoa has it's come to be known? Can what the X-Men built survive this acrimony? that's going on with, between Magneto and, and the rest of the X family. Um, will they resurrect, resurrect Wanda? Is she really a mutant? Like so many questions. Um, and it's, it's definitely a chance for Marvel to kind of reboot Scarlet Witch if they, if they so choose. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out, but really solid. Uh, I like Leah Williams. I think she does very well in the X-Men corner of the Marvel you i think she understands these characters it's clear she cares about these characters and uh, i'm glad they chose her to to write the title so um i don't know if you want to call it an event but it's definitely going to have long lasting complications um especially with hickman leaving so we'll see how that all plays out uh, all right next x-men book i'm gonna talk about is x corp number four from writer tinney howard Alberto Fauché is the artist. Sonny Go handles the colors. Clayton Callan letters. Tom Muller on design. Um, this definitely feels like the end of the first arc, right? Like X Corp sort of gets their feet under them, so to speak. And they get their board and they feel like they can catch their breath. And just when you think things are okay, Tinny Howard pulls the rug out from under them. Um, 
and all of a sudden things get a lot more real. Things get a lot more personal um, as opposed to everything's been sort of political in terms of, you know, business rivalry and whatnot. And it goes from being that to sort of in your face, more in your face type danger. So it's going to be interesting to see if the book shifts uh, that direction. I think the, again, the art is absolutely fantastic. Great line work, great um, facial expressions. And uh, I really do feel like Tinny Howard, she's using the right vocabulary to, to create the right tone for a book. That's basically, Hey, the X-Men have their own corporation, you know, X-Men are, are Microsoft or the X-Men are Apple. What does that look like? Um, and so it has the right sort of serious tone without taking itself too serious and without getting too wrapped up in the superhero stuff. Um, it's very much a, a political book. And for me, it's working uh, much better than I necessarily thought it would have, uh, in fact. So I've been pretty pleased. Uh, last X book to talk about, Way of X, number five, from writer Cy Spurrier. Bob Quinn is the artist. Java Tardigilia handles the colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. Tom Muller on design. This one's a bit of a frustrating one. Um, gorgeous art by Bob Q, first of all. Like he, He's been killing it on this story from the beginning. It's a bit of a darker story. You know, The main characters are Legion and Nightcrawler, so it definitely works on that level. Um, but there's the way it unfolds in this issue from Cy Spurry is brilliant. It's just brilliant with what he sets up for what Nightcrawler is trying to do. The whole idea of way of X is Nightcrawler thinks that mutants aren't taking death seriously enough since the threat of being dead forever has been taken away from them with their resurrection cycle that they can do with the, the five mutants they have that basically have created a way for, uh, for all mutants to be immortal um, and so without that consequence, Nightcrawler feels like it's people, mutants don't care enough about death anymore. Death has ceased to matter. And so it's, it's leading to depravity and uh, a lack of sort of self-responsibility and, and governance and, and all that stuff. There's, there's decay, there's moral decay, moral rot is setting in with mutants. And he's trying to figure out by examining the three laws how he can frame up either an, uh, a, a mutant religion or uh, a mutant culture of doing things so they don't cannibalize themselves in a way, you know, they don't rot from the inside out. And so those are big ideas. Those are heavy ideas. And the art that Bob Q has been turning in has been sufficiently um, heavy as well in terms of the, the impact and the body language and the emotion that he's putting in, in the characters' faces, um, but also in the dialogue and the tone that we're getting from Cy Spurrier. So this one sort of pulls together a bunch of different threads that have been going on in the first four issues. Uh, and just when you think that Nightcrawler might be closer to finding the answers that he's looking for than he originally thought he was, something bad happens at the end and uh, and it looks like it's going to set him back uh, at least for a little while. So very, very curious to see where this goes next um, and uh, curious how much uh, Jonathan Hickman, how much input he had, had on this book 
uh, because yeah, it's it's a big idea. Mutant religion, definitely a big idea. So uh, okay, on to the last book I'm going to talk about in detail in this episode. It's Time Before Time. Uh, I think we're up to issue number four. It's by writers Declan Shalvey and Rory McConville. Joe Palmer is the artist. Chris O'Halloran does the colors. Hassan Atzman Elhow does the letters. Man, it's a time travel book, so of course it gets complicated at times. Um, but we get sort of a few recaps here and there that uh, help to bring this issue all together. Um, the art by Joe Palmer, it's a little noirish. It's a little uh, less is more. I think it definitely works for for the story that's being told. Um, but man, does some crap go down in this issue. Some real bad stuff for Tatsuo. Um, but what it's going to lead into and, and what it's setting up still remains to be seen. But this this is like, you know, crime noir time travel uh, with some kooky characters, some desperate characters. And as we know, desperate times call for desperate measures. So the way it's all going to play out, um, yeah, I'm very, very curious. This is going to be one of those stories, I think, that reads really, really well once everything is said and done. Um, and not that you want to know the ending, but just the way that it's paced, I think it'll it'll help to have you know the whole story there in, in front of you. It won't lose momentum. Um, and not that I expect it to lose momentum, but if issues are laid or whatnot, I mean, it's always a big concern. Um, but I think overall, it's just, just a great story. I mean, think about, uh, what's that terrible John Claude Van Damme, like time cop, like time cop, but, but in like the forties, you know, with, uh, more of a film noir type twist, uh, see, so plenty of action, like a like a time cop type movie, but but more stylish, uh, more panache. So, yeah, I'm still not 100 percent sure, like what exactly is going on uh, in terms of like where the story's headed um, for Tetsuyo. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely look forward to picking this up every time it it drops out and creeps up to the top of my stack on the week on the weeks that it uh, comes out. So definitely recommend checking out uh, time before time. All right. Let me give a rundown on some of the other books that are available today. You might want to be on the lookout for um, from aftershock. In addition to beyond the breach, number two, there's a one shot called God of tremors. Number one um, from Peter Milligan. It was, it was pretty fun. It's a period piece. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it uh, at AWA. There's Marjorie Finnegan, temporal criminal number four of eight, which I've been, uh, I've, I've picked up the first three issues. I haven't read any of them yet, but I've heard good things about the, the title. So I wanted to check it out. Uh, Bad Idea has their hero trade, passive aggressive number one coming out over at Boom, Eat the Rich number one, which I don't know, sounds like a good idea. I have no idea what, what the book is about uh, from DC. And again, we talked about these yesterday on the podcast, Batman Catwoman number six, Batman Secret Files Clown Hunter number one. Catwoman number 34, uh, Flash number 773, 
uh, Nightwing number 83, Shazam number two of four, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow number three of eight, Superman and the Authority number two of four, Superman Red and Blue number six of six. Uh, and that does it for uh, the DC books that are out. Again, you want to hear about those with spoilers, in-depth analysis. Check out our uh, episode from yesterday. Uh, over at uh, Image, we have Ascender from Dustin Nguyen and Jeff Lemire. That's up to issue number 18. Uh, we've got Jupiter's Legacy Requiem, number three. We've got uh, Maneaters, The Cursed, number two of five. And Walking Dead Deluxe, number 21. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, Black Cat, number nine, is out. Guardians of the Galaxy, number 17. We've got Marauders, number 23. Marvels, number four. Uh, Star Wars, number 16. And Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters, number three of five. I really need to get caught up and get some of those episodes out for you. Uh, and then all the X books that I... Uh, that I already talked about. So uh, over at Titan, Black, or sorry, Black Blade Runner Origins number five, which I've heard a lot of people who are fans of the movie have really been digging that. And then finally at Valiant, Exo Manowar number five uh, rounds out the uh, books that I'll mention to be on the lookout for your local comic shop. So tons of great books. Uh, definitely recommend Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow number three. And Beyond the Breach, number two. Pick up one and two of Beyond the Breach this week because uh, number two is absolutely must. You must read it. I don't even think you need to read issue one. Like issue two recaps the events of issue one well enough that you could just pick up Beyond the Breach, number two, if your retailer doesn't happen to have Beyond the Breach, number one. But if they do, get them both because it's great. It's absolutely fantastic. So. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. As always, I want to thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.